Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You can now take Caribbean Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player. .fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bosevich. And now, here's Jay. afternoon and welcome to another edition of the Bose Nose Show and I'm your host West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon and we've got a lot to talk about. We've got baseball, we've got you know transportation issues and, and you know you name it and of course there's a lot of national news and all that stuff but I always like to talk to you guys about what you want to talk about. So all you have to do is give us a call here on the Bose Nose Show, 646-721-9887. You press 1 on your cell phone or whatever, and it raises your hand on our little uh, board that we have in the software. So we know you want to actually talk to me versus we get a lot of people that call in just to listen. Because... Not everybody can be around a computer or where there's Wi-Fi um, and they call on their cell phones because they still got cell service to listen to the show. So, again, 646-721-9887, and just press 1 if you have, have a comment, a question, whatever. Um, and, you know, if you call in and you're just listening and sometime during the show something piques your interest, you can hit that one button then, and, and that'll flag the Robin that you want to get in here and she'll – kick me in the butt and tell me to take the call. Um, so we, are, we, we have a lot to talk about, and probably the biggest thing we have to talk about is the Emeralds multi-use stadium and the fairgrounds and what Lane County's projecting to do as we probably took the biggest step towards building a stadium for the Emeralds to call home for the next 30 years or so, who knows? Um, they, were, they were in Civic Stadium a long time. That was built in the late 30s, um, and uh, it, it, it you know, wasn't too long ago they were still playing there. I went to the games in Civic Stadium, uh, gone to games at PK. I'm kind of looking forward to the uh, possibility of going to a game at, at the fairgrounds. Um, we looked at several things, and and this is kind of important to to think about. We first looked at 
what's the economic impact going to be? And is it going to be a good thing or a bad thing for the fairgrounds and Lane County to have a multi-use stadium? So we got a third-party, you know, Echo Northwest economic study type people that look into these sort of things. And um, they did an analysis that shows the stadium outside of what the jobs and, and economic activity the construction will bring which is going to be significant. After it's in operation with the longer season, the M's are going to be playing and the ability to use it for concerts and other events when the M's aren't playing in the stadium will bring in about $31 million a year annually to the local economy. And about $4 million of that is going to be in hotel revenue. And about $4.6 million in local um, labor income will be generated, you know, paycheck. So it's going to be economically a good thing. And it's going to be a really great thing for the Lane Events Center slash fairgrounds because one of the things about the fairgrounds right now is we are booked solid every weekend from October through April, May. It, it's in the wintertime when, when they're doing these uh, home shows, holiday market, you name it, we're booked. Our problem is, is quite often in the summer, that facility is empty at times. We don't have something that draws summer events other than the Lane County Fair. And, you know, the 4-H show and a few other shows there. This multi-use facility will allow us to really kind of keep a year-round activities at the fair, which will generate income for the fair, which will allow us to repair the existing buildings, which are aging out and stuff, and maybe really, you know, make that fairgrounds into something it really should be. And without that summertime continual use, the fairgrounds are kind of on the edge economically. I mean, because they, they have to, that lives outside of our general fund in an enterprise fund. And generally, it's subsidized right now by some transit room taxes. And we actually are paying off some bonds, so that's freeing up some money. And that's how we're going to finance the stadium. With $10 million coming from the Emeralds, Seven and a half million, it's already been earmarked by the legislature. So it's already starting out with 17 and a half million of money that's not really coming from Lane County. And then we're going to bond the remaining cost to construct the stadium and pay for that bond with transient room tax increases and car rental tax increases because, as I noted earlier, it's actually going to increase hotel usage and car rental usage in Lane County. So taxing those things kind of makes some sense to generate the additional revenue. Plus, what we paid off in bonds and TRT, existing TRT, we were spending at fairgrounds already. So um, that's kind of where we are. And what we did yesterday in the board was authorize staff to come back to the board in September with changes to our county code to do those tax increases so we have the ability to finance. 
And it's really not that we'll actually do the increase at that time. It's going to provide the code changes and authorization to where we can start charging that tax when we're when and if the project moves forward. So basically, it's going to be a, a, um, a an ordinance for the transit room tax to authorize additional transit room taxes up to another two percent percentage points. Same thing with the car rental tax; it increases up to another two percentage points. And um, based on you know our ability to get other monies, like um, we're hoping to get some FEMA money actually for this project because. The Lane Event Center is actually the central evacuation point in a large disaster in Lane County. You know, people are pretty familiar with the fact that during the Holiday Farm Fire, we had people living on the fairgrounds property in RVs. We had their pets and livestock housed in our buildings out there. And we set up a central information center for applying for aid and everything else in one of the exposition halls. You know, that's a secondary major function of the fairgrounds is acting as this emergency gathering place. And it, we, you know, during COVID, that's where we did our mass vaccination clinics. You know, so it, one of the things this, the, the new multi-use facility will have that we really don't have right now is shower facilities because it's going to have locker rooms for the home and away teams, right? And it's going to have a centralized kitchen to service the vendor booths of, you know, for events there. So it's going to add this kitchen and shower locker room facilities, which we're probably going to overbuild and apply for FEMA money because it's going to support the emergency operations side and utilization of fairgrounds because I've talked about it on this program before. The subduction zone earthquake is coming sometime. We're overdue for it right now as far as the every 300-year cycle it's had. We're going to need some place, you know, those folks from the coast that are Having going to have to move out for a while until repairs are done to bridges and infrastructure from the earthquake and tsunami that's going to result from the subduction zone event, they're going to need some place to retreat to. And we're going to have to have some place to headquarter people to, to do that sort of work. So um, I'm kind of excited about this. It's not just about baseball. It's about having one of the largest concert venues between Portland and Sacramento, you know, literally, we're going to start competing for that kind of uh, entertainment here now in the summertime. Really great concerts. So um, yeah, that's sort of where we are with that project. Now, when the ordinance comes back, we have to do a first reading, and then two weeks later, we have to do a second reading and public hearing. So we will hear from the public. It'll be another opportunity for public input. Mind you, we've been getting oral and written testimony from people and neighbors, you know, possible neighbors of the, the multi-use facility for months now. So it's not like this is some big secret. And uh, there'll be other decision points along the way. 
we have a preliminary cost estimate of what the stadium will cost, and that's how we know that we believe we can actually finance it through TRT and CRT. And um, we'll do our best to find other money like FEMA and maybe more state money um, that is going to subsidize this facility to the extent that, you know, maybe where we can use that TRT for other things like indoor track facility maybe. Um, so that was, you know, pretty exciting. But just remember, we still got to get a design build team and a contract for that. Then that team will have to go through uh, more detailed cost estimating, not preliminary cost estimating. And we'll have stop, you know, stop start points all along this where, you know, if the price is coming in way over, we might just walk away from the whole thing. Or if we realize we can't build it without decent soundproofing, there may be a point where we walk away from it. You know, that, that's, it's not done yet, but we took the biggest step towards, you know, getting it done by figuring out how we could actually make the finances work. Well, one, getting an economic analysis, two, getting a cost estimate, three, coming to some preliminary understandings with the M's about how it's going to operate so we know how who's going to operate and how it will function and that it can function without drawing funds from anywhere else. It'll be self-funding and support itself uh, operationally. You know, those questions have been answered, so now we're kind of moving, moving ahead with preparing to set up the financing capabilities while we're also out to bid for a design-build contractor. And, but still several points ago, including that, you know, public hearing, you know, if, if you know, 90% of the people that come in and testify are telling us don't do it, you know, that may change commissioners' minds. But right now, the motion to move ahead with the increases in the transit room tax and car rental tax were unanimous by the board, which is not always a true thing. They might have their own reasons for supporting it, but, you know, keeping the M's in town is a big plus for us economically. Having that stadium and summertime events that will, it will bring to LEC are a big plus for the event center and the viability of the fairgrounds. And it'll be a great community asset. And we'll be back to, you know, the, the hometown feel of the baseball games where people walk to the stadium or ride their bike to the stadium or even take the bus because it's on a major bus line. You know, unlike PK Park, which is pretty hard to get to by, by you know, foot or whatever. So uh, unless you live right there next to Austin Stadium, which not too many people do. It's kind of surrounded by commercial and, and, and office use. Um, so that was probably the big part um, of the board meeting and probably the, the, the headline part. But there's all sorts of other stuff I want to get to because social media kind of, you know, has, has been going back and forth about the safety on Highway 126. And because of that, and also because we have a new area manager for ODOT that just started last week, um, I am working with ODOT to hold a town hall out in the Benita area about Highway 126 and the improvements they're working on the environmental impact analysis right now for the EIS uh, work 
under the National Environmental Protection Act um, that's required before you can have a project eligible for federal funding. Um, that's, you know, getting close to wrap up right now, and uh, it's a good time maybe for ODOT to be talking to the public about what some of that work is fleshed out, including some preliminary design drawings of how the highway might work with being improved to four lanes and how they're going to deal with some of the dangerous intersections. Yes, they're talking roundabouts. In this case, rural roundabouts actually work pretty well because you don't have the pedestrian bicycle interaction that comes with urban roundabouts where I don't think they work quite so well and the footprint, you know, coming in and after the fact and adding roundabouts is usually really difficult in an urban situation. So I'm hoping to have that town hall soon and also talk about things like what it takes to put in a safety corridor because there are lots of questions about that on social media and other safety improvements they've made in the past, other improvements maybe outside of that Eugene Benita corridor they're, they're proposing in the future. So stay tuned. I will post that all over social media once I get the date set. I've got to work with the venue and I've got to work with the ODOT folks to get that, that nailed down. Looking for somewhere right around September 21st or so. So stay tuned. You'll be hearing more about that. But I want to pause again, remind folks we are calling show 646-721-9887. Just have to press 1 so that Robin knows you want to get on the show. And it looks like we have um, one of our listeners has actually pressed 1, wants to jump in on this, this and maybe change the topic or talk about what we've already talked about. Uh, wanted to talk about the stadium. The what? The, the stadium for the fairground. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I wanted to know if a design has been finalized yet, and if not, has there been given consideration to including offices and um, facilities that would facilitate a broadcast partner for the M's and p potentially some of the concert events that, that could be happening there. Yeah, no, the design is not finalized yet. Um, we have enough, we know enough about single A requirements for stadiums and sizes and, you know, foul line distances and outfield distances and all that to have, have laid out a footprint so we know we can make it fit on the fairgrounds in a spot that's not going to interfere with any of the existing buildings. Um, and that's about, and with that information and knowing, you know, how many seats and, and size and, and some of the, the things they can approximate, we've, we've had a uh, construction estimating company go through an estimate of it. Details like whether it's going to include, you know, skyboxes and stuff like that, that's yet to come. Um, and, and that's where, why we have a, a pretty wide range of the cost from 60 to 80 million. Because the 80 million is bells and whistles. 60 million is you know, just based on what it takes to meet single A, long, long single A standards. Um, so all that is yet to come. Uh, and I think that's going to be a really interesting conversation. One of the things that we're really pushing hard is to make sure seismically 
all the locker rooms and everything else that, you know, understand sort of work is designed at a level of what they call immediate occupancy uh, post a seismic event so that that can be, you know, like we, one of the reasons why we're going to go after FEMA money for this is we want to make sure that when we have the subduction zone earthquake and a seismic event, that facility stays functional uh, immediately, is immediately functional. Um, you know, offices and, and uh, broadcast, I'm, I'm sure that's going to be part of what the M's are going to want in the stadium. And frankly, um, you know, we're going to want it to be a flexible facility because we really want it to work well for concerts um, because that's you know, our real desires as a concert venue for the fair and other concerts uh, when the M's are out of town. And in fact, you know, they've even talked about the ability to convert that to, to even doing rodeo because they'll, they'll, they'll cover the field and haul dirt in for some of these events, believe it or not. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I couldn't tell you whether they've got that in the plans or not yet, but I, I think that's part of the yet to come and some of the, you know, as we look at financing and the more money we can get from other sources or, you know, the M's say they really want that, you know, maybe they'll be kicking in $12 million instead of $10 million, you know? <laughs> Does that okay, answer your question? What if... Yeah, thank you. Great. Yeah, we're we're you know we're early in this project, but you know the the big thing is getting an idea of some real costing data, and then seeing if we actually had the ability to fund it without you know because we don't have any general fund money, which is property tax. We don't have other funds we can use for this, so we really had to make sure we were going to be able to fund this in a way that didn't impact all the more critical services. Because frankly, having a stadium is like, like having parks, you know? It's not something Lane County is required to have or do for people. It's a nice to have, and it'll be a great economic driver for the community, but we're required to have a jail. We're required to run elections. We're required to collect taxes, you know? All sorts of other things. We're required to prosecute people. Yeah. You know? We're required to have a public health department. So um, that's what was kind of important. But the actual design and, and all that, that comes with that design build team. And I'm sure we're going to work very closely with the community and hold, you know, community design charrettes and stuff like that where people get to make, you know, comments like yours about making sure there's broadcast capabilities and all. So, yeah, because I, I, I'm, you know, there's nothing worse than having a stadium and getting it built and going, oh, God, I wish we'd done this. <laughs> so, thanks. Any other questions before I, I, I let you go or go back to listening? No, that's great. Thank you. Thank you. Great. Well, we'll put you back on listening mode. And, uh, again, it, it's that easy getting on the conversation, the Bose Nose Show, kind of why I do this show, so people can quickly and easily talk to a, an elected official. You know, and all you have to do is call us at 646-721-9887. And if you want to talk,
press one and that raises your little hand like our listener did. And I, I jumped over to him. But there are people that call in and just listen. So that's why pressing one and raising your hand is kind of important for, for Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, to know that you want to get in on the show. Um, so moving to a, another topic I kind of wanted to get to today, besides 126, I wanted to talk a little bit about moving ahead. Now, what's interesting is I have to be limited in what I can say now because there's a recall going on and a lawsuit about that recall where Lane County is tacitly named in the lawsuit because we run the recall elections. And I have to be careful. I can't speak to that lawsuit or the recall at all. So that's all I'm going to say about that is there's a tort claim and a tort involved right now. And that side of things I'm not going to comment on. What I will say is I talked about moving ahead for about a year now and warned people to be careful that it's one it's it's kind of like the Inflation Reduction Act. It's another Orwellian named program. It sounds like people are going to get to get places when they want to. Moving ahead, oh great, they're going to improve the traffic flow at River Road and Silver Avenue there, um, and, and River Avenue there where it backs up at rush hour all the time, and Division Avenue. It's just that horrible interchange around Beltline. No, that's not what moving ahead really meant. What moving ahead meant was we're going to prioritize bicycle, pedestrian, and bus traffic over your private automobile. And in fact, it is planned to put an MX line on River Road and take lanes away. Create more congestion, not not get rid of it. And you know, that's you know, that's you know, those Orwellian names. So I've kind of been warning people to, to watch this and, and kind of boiling over there in the River Road area and Coburg area, too, because it, it affected Coburg Road and even Highway 99. You know, there are plans for several major roadways in, in Eugene because this is a Eugene LTD. Now, mind you, because Lane Transit District has Lane in the name, has absolutely nothing to do with Lane County. It's a state and federal entity. It's funded by federal funds through the state, and the board is appointed directly by the governor. You don't get to vote for the board members, although they collect a local income tax, payroll tax, to support LTD, Lane Transit District. So Lane Transit District and the city of Eugene are the ones that have been doing moving ahead. Lane County had nothing to do with it. But... With the uproar, we have asked LTD to come in and give a presentation to the board about this particular project. It will be an interesting board meeting because I know there's going to be some tough questions asked <laughs> about how much people really knew because apparently a lot of people didn't understand even what moving ahead was. They never heard about it until it kind of got out that they were talking about putting MX on River Road and people went ballistic. 
that's what happens when you hide what you're really doing under a name that doesn't really mean what you're doing. Moving ahead, they should have named it creating congestion to run empty buses on a regular basis. Mind you, I've seen articles recently that there is a crisis coming in mass transit systems in urban areas around the country. They've lost 50% of their ridership in most cities during COVID, and it's not coming back because people are working remotely and people are afraid to use mass transit after the pandemic. So it's a twofold thing. And the mass transit systems that are heavily fare box dependent, like Bay Area Area Rapid Transit in the San Francisco area, they are going to be in a world of hurt when the federal COVID funds that replace their fare box revenues go away. So we've got Lane Transit District in the city of Eugene looking to add more buses and bus, you know, yet their ridership has dropped. So moving ahead, really? The only reason they're not in as big a financial trouble is they're so heavily subsidized by that payroll tax that everyone suffers and federal, you know, transit dollars. Their fare box revenue is a small portion of their total revenue. So that subsidized empty buses versus car lanes at, on River Road at Beltline. Just imagine the mess. We talked about this on the Bose Nose show before, the drunken architecture that went on on 6th Avenue for, for you know, the, the bus rapid transit line there, you know, going past the Washington Jefferson Street Bridge where you start losing lanes and have to weave over here and there because they, they're trying to hold on to that dedicated bus lane running down there and just how crazy it is to try and make turns where there are those dedicated bus lanes. It's like, when do you get in that right lane to make that turn or, what, or the left lane, depending on which road that, and which side the bus lane's on? And how many near accidents are because people, you know, don't know whether they should turn out in the bus lane or turn out into one of the traffic lanes. And yeah, it's, oh boy. Yeah, it's a mess. And, and just pay attention, folks. When, when, when you hear a program named like something like Moving Ahead, that should prick your ears up and make you go, what are they really doing here? Robin is looking to jump in on the Drunken Architect stuff because she loves that 6th Avenue. <laughs> you kind of beat me to the punch there. In fact, wasn't he a multi-year award winner? Yes, yes. Yeah, right, right after whoever designed the Crazy Eights in Glenwood. Yes. Um, yeah, local traffic designers around here. Speaking of local traffic design, I have to hit one of Robin's hot button issues because it almost got me today and almost got her today. As you are traveling eastbound on Beltline over the Willamette River and take that exit ramp to go southbound on Delta Highway, 
Has anyone else gone around that corner, which is now hard to see around because they put the sound wall so close to the exit ramp and had people stop dead at the green light to get on to South Delta, <laughs> backing people up just enough that you get around that blind curve at speed and you have to slam on the brakes and hope that the 10 people behind you don't stack up in, in your bumper. They got to they got to fix something there, it, and, and people have to learn that 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 green light means go. Doesn't mean it's not a stop sign. It's not a flashing red where you have to come to a stop and then proceed on South Delta. It's a free flowing right turn unless it's red, which the only time it's red is somebody presses the pedestrian walk signal, which very few people cross. Delta Highway over Beltline as a pedestrian. <laughs> Seeing there's the Greenway bike path bridge, you know, further down. You know, so it's kind of like, yeah, oh my gosh, bad design there. Another drunken architect award for that one. They really need to move that sound wall back 10 feet or something. Or, or you know, put windows in it. <laughs> I don't know. That, that's just a bad spot. But speaking of Orwellian, I got I got to go national for a few minutes here. I know on the Bo's Nose Show we we stay a lot local, particularly local Wayne County. Sometimes I break into state stuff, like I talk about how the state's disinvested in public safety and generally financing counties, and that's why our public safety system in Lane County stinks, is the lack of state support and the lack of timber revenue, which is a federal issue. But I gotta talk about a couple things that happened federally because I wasn't here last week because I had my house open during the Bo's Nose Show, which that's a whole nother topic about how um, Brandon has made my life difficult trying to sell my home. Um, but this Inflation Reduction Act has to be the most Orwellian named Act I've ever seen. Now that it's passed and they're starting to do analysis of what was actually in the act, nobody is saying it's going to actually reduce inflation. In fact, they're projecting it's going to help increase inflation for seven to nine years or some of the economic analysis that are starting to come out. So they should have called it the Inflation Increasing Act. Of course, IIA doesn't have quite the same name as IRA. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Inflation Reduction Act, no, it's not. And on top of that, our president is using executive powers in a way they've never been used before. And in a way that even Nancy Pelosi has said in the past he couldn't use them. And in a way the Education Department that he's saying now has that power, has said in the past, is not their power. It's only a power of Congress to make budget decisions. That power lies solely in the Congress in our Constitution. And relieving student loans is a budgetary decision. It is not an executive power. Mind you the fact that you're basically taking a bunch of people that are probably not lower class and in that, that 
student loan relief adds to the deficit, which I've talked about in the past, one of the reasons inflation's got out of hand is the overspending of our federal government is making the dollar devalue, and that's causing the inflation. Print money and put it into circulation. It makes all the money that's in circulation less valuable. (laughs) And relieving student debt does that. It basically prints money. So who is impacted the most by inflation at the grocery store? people at the lowest end of our economic spectrum. Who benefits from relieving student loans? People that have a college education who are generally not at the lowest end. So the Democrats that are supposed to be progressives and helping the poor folks and be, you know, making the rich pay their fair share, student loan relief is the exact opposite of that. It makes Joe the plumber pay for somebody that got a degree in sociology at Harvard and took out immense loans or something like that to do it. You know? It's, it's incredible. And it's like, you know, no one's, no, no one's, what about me? I paid for my, I took six years to get my engineering degree because I worked my way through college and I had to sometimes take a semester off or, you know, take a light load because I had to work more to save money up again. You know, it's like, and what about the people that paid their loans? Like Robin, she paid her loan off. Are they going to get a refund there? Oh, well, I am, you know, I knew I was baiting somebody on this a little bit, so I'm, Got to bring Guy into the conversation here. Guy, I know you were dying to talk about national stuff. Guy, are you there? Guy, are you muted on your end? I've got you live now. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I was muted. Sorry. There you go. We have Guy now. So, Guy, I know you were dying to talk about some of this national stuff. Hit me. <laughs> well, I don't know if I'm dying to talk about it, but I, I think a lot of people are missing the point on the student loan forgiveness, the $10,000. And, I mean, I I feel bad for people. They got whatever degree. I mean, if you got a degree and you, you worked your way through college, whether you took out student loans or not is irrelevant from where I sit. You know, you, you had to work to get that degree, no matter what the degree said. Student loan forgiveness deal is going to do, and what it really is, is simply a grant to university and colleges. <clears throat> it, if you think about it, right, everybody's complaining about the price of university and colleges. And if we let the market decide, right, in other words, if you went to college because you could pay for it or you could work your way through it, college would be a whole lot cheaper than if the government says you can take out hundreds of thousands of dollars of loans, and we'll just forgive that because there's no banks that are giving student loans anymore. It's, it's just the federal government. Um, yeah. and, and basically, it's just a grant to the universities to keep their prices up and to keep things inflated, and I don't think that's a good working relationship at all for students going forward. Um, and I don't think what we've got right now is great either because the, the federal government guarantees that you'll get a loan to go to college to study stuff. Um, you know, 
you're working through to becoming a doctor or whatnot, you're going to certainly take out the loan so you can, you know, study to become a doctor. But instead of it costing you forty or $60,000 to become a doctor, you're now spending $300,000 because all this extra money is available from the government, which enables the universities to keep just jacking the prices up. And so the reality of that is, they need to stop doing that so that universities will come back down into a realm that students can actually afford to go to college. And there's a big unfairness thing about that, and you're absolutely right. You know, if you didn't go to college like I didn't go to college, um, you're paying for it. Or if you went to college 40 years ago, you're paying for it too. That's that's a whole other topic. But the, the reality of this is it's going to keep tuition inflated through what's going to be a pretty bad recession for the next five to ten years which is just going to make it harder and force students to take out even more loans. Yeah, I have always been against the government um, funding student loans and being involved in them. And you can directly follow the cost of college from how much involvement federal governments had in student loan programs and, and grant programs. And there is something actually called the Higher Education Inflation Index, um, Believe it or not, I only know this because I was on a community college board, and we used to track that. And it was tracking twice the urban, you know, C, you know, you know, consumer price index at twice the rate back in the 2000s, and has continued to consistently be way above the consumer price index rates as far as inflation goes. And the only reason that is yeah. is because we're pumping money into these colleges, guaranteed loans and stuff like that, so they can continue to raise salaries to educators who a lot of times aren't aren't real good at educating. I, I you know, I had a few professors in college that I was like, how in the heck did you become a professor? Because <laughs> I learned nothing in your class. And, uh, you know, it's just um, – that, you know, they removed the market from college. And when they, when they took loans away from the private sector, you used to be able to go to a bank to get a loan for your college. The college, the, the bank would ask things like, what degree are you planning to get? What, you know, where are you planning to go? What degree are you planning to get? Things like that. So that, you know, you know they wouldn't necessarily write loans for sociology degrees where people might not be able to pay the loan back at, at an expensive school. But I guarantee you, I probably could have gotten a loan to go to a state school for engineering, you know, lower cost school, high, high, you know, income uh, career at the end of it. Yeah. Fortunately, I was able to pay as I went because back then the federal government wasn't making loans. And the market was well, it, the college down. My point here is that the, the federal government does a really good job at misdirecting who everybody ought to be mad at. And nobody should be mad at a student that takes advantage of the student loans, uh, as high prices they are, to get whatever degree they need to get. Because the, the honest truth of it is it's just a grant to the universities. And if we want universities to have our best interests and our students' best interests at heart, we've 
got to find some way to hold them accountable, and that used to be with money. You know, if you were if you were a, uh, an evergreen and most of your degrees were basically useless when you came out, you know, nobody went to that college. Uh, now, why not go to the college? Because, you know, you, you'll take out two or $300,000 worth of student loans to do it while you're doing it. Uh, and, again, if that's the degree you want to get, that's what you want to study, you know, more power to you. But that degree shouldn't cost you $200,000. That degree should cost you no more than ten dollars or $20,000. And that's where the rub on this lies, more than anywhere else. That's absolutely where the rub lies, and that's where the anger ought to be. It ought to be directed at the universities and the government, because that's what this really is. It's just a payoff to the universities. What do you know, which direction politically do most university faculty and staff lean? Hmm. Yeah. Well, they're 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 definitely going to lean to the way that gets them paid. That's for certain. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, generally they, they, they lean to the left, and the left is in control of our federal government right now. So they're more than happy to, you know, give student loan relief because they're paying off their supporters in the universities. I guarantee you a lot of those professors that now make 100000 a year when they used to be, you know, remember the, the patch jackets and all that, you know, professors wore in the 60s and 70s, you know, they're wearing Gucci now. So they can write checks to presidential campaigns. Yeah. At the same time, a lot of the private universities have endowment funds that could fund people's tuition off the interest. Harvard's endowment fund is, is billions of dollars. I don't know why they have to charge so much tuition. That's it. That's the other part. You know, these some of these universities are just plain greedy. They charge what they can because they can because the federal government's willing to guarantee loans and 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 write the loans for the that and it, and I the 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 victim in this is the students and and the public that taxpayer wise the, the inflationary cause of this and it's another you know budget buster for us and at the same time it's ex- extra constitutional. I don't know where Biden thinks he has the power to do what he's doing. Well, like like most of those, uh, I'm sorry, (laughs) like most of those, they'll just go ahead and do it. And then in the 15 years it takes it to work through the court to find out they couldn't do it, it won't matter. Well, I, I was, you know, listening to the news yesterday and today about it going to happen. I've been thinking about, you know, maybe I should find a, you know, an attorney with one of these groups like Cato or somebody like that and be the plaintiff because, um, I, you know, you have to show that you've got some kind of standing, i.e. you're being harmed by the action. And I'm going to say, hey, I paid for my school. Where's my $10,000? <laughs> you know, and, and that sort of thing. You know, it's like, and I'll get Robin to say, I paid off my debt. Where's mine? You know? And I'll, you know, get, I'll get the other, you know, Joe the plumber out there that's going to pay for this in inflation go, you know, I'm being damaged that way. And we'll get a class action, you know, basically asking for an injunction to stop it. You know, the one way you could stop it is through injunction. 
and, and show that there's you know, enough people being harmed that, that it needs to be set aside until it can be adjudicated. But I don't know. I've got enough I'm trying to do. I'm trying to sell a house and be a commissioner all at the same time. <laughs> if I can jump in for a second. Uh, to Guy's point, and based on my experience, it uh, would also be nice if the colleges were held more responsible for uh, their teachings or the, the instructors took the teaching more seriously. And uh, I told several of my instructors that I'm paying you for a service because a lot of them didn't care. And unfortunately, like Guy says, you wind, the student winds up spending a lot of money, a lot of credits, and not really getting an education. Well, there's, there's precedents for that. There, there's been several truck driving schools that I, I know of that um, were, were getting funding via student loans and whatnot that the government came back and sued them and clawed back the loans because they couldn't actually provide jobs for the students after the fact. There's definitely precedents for that. Whatever happened with, because it was proposed, uh, like with LCC, that their money was based on graduation rates, not enrollment rates. Um, yeah, it, it's still, I think, at least the state funding is based on uh, their percentage of total community college um, population enrolled, not graduation necessarily. I will say that at least LCC is, is somewhat of a bargain in some ways for cert certain um, degrees and all that stuff. Um, and LCC students that go two years there, because you know, they can only get an associates for the most part um, there, that have gone on to the UVO, actually do better at, in GPA and graduation rate than students that start at the UVO and take all four years. So the students that go to LCC and transfer into the UVO, are more successful than the students that start out and go all four years at U of O. Yeah, and by the way, thank you for signing my five by eight uh, card. Oh, I mean degree. So far, that uh, seal hasn't melted yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to actually sign. You know, when I was chairman of of the LCC board my last year there, I got to actually sign diplomas. Pretty, you know, one of those. Weird things about being an elected official is signing documents that people end up having forever. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. So, guy, anything else uh, on the federal front you want to talk about? You want to weigh in on the Inflation Reduction Act? <laughs> uh, no, I, I think people think I'm crazy enough as it is. Uh, you know, I I'll I'll tell you I I, I take a lot of comfort. And what I was told some years ago from a guy who said, you know, whenever you really start thinking that the United States is headed down the wrong path and we're never going to get it back again and whatnot, there's always some silly guy out in Kansas that didn't get the message that comes up with the next great idea and we're off and running again. So I think we're coming up on that time soon. I don't know what the next great idea is going to be that's going to yank us back out of the funk we're in right now, but we always do seem to manage to do it. So. I, I think everybody can agree, Democrat, Republican, Independent, doesn't matter that things aren't going well right now. It's kind of rough times, but uh, it doesn't matter. Ten years from now, we'll look back on this and go, yeah, that was bad, but we got through it, no problem. So um, 
I, I don't think I can add anything more to the conversations that are currently going on than the fact that they're silly, and I'm just watching and waiting for that next great thing. Yeah, yeah, we need the next Steve Jobs or, um, you know, Thomas Edison or, or Henry Ford to come along and, and pull us out of, of this. <laughs> yeah, we don't hold some of those people in enough esteem, you know, our heroes are, you know, basketball players and, and, you know, people that, you know, are, you know, born with a natural talent or something like that. The real people that we should be holding in great esteem are, are the creators and the people that have made our, our lives easier and, and you know, generated economic activity and wealth for, and jobs for people, you know, you know, Henry Ford is a is a huge figure. You know, all these you know folks that have been the creative minds and and, and generated the, the major you know disturbances in our economy with with something new. That's who we ought to be. You know, cheering and stuff like that. You know, instead of instead of you know they put in a bid for Twitter and next thing you know they're the demons. <laughs> of our world instead of cheering a guy that's that's employed millions you know uh well thanks guy um put you back in listen mode for a while and uh we'll touch on a couple other topics before we sign off here on the bose nose show um just want to let people folks know again 646-721-9887 and just press one if you want to jump in on the show like Guy um, and uh, take the show in the direction you want to go to. But, uh, you know, I, I just want to note one thing real quick for folks. And it's been a frustration of mine, and, and I, I, I'm trying to solve a problem right now, and I'm not sure how to fix it. And I think it's, it's a structural issue and and where we go from here, um, but the, the crisis we're having right now in our district attorney's office with the fact that we're losing senior people to other agencies that can pay 25000 more a year. And sometimes when we get into comparing total compensation, we're actually pretty close, but it's the actual take-home pay people are leaving us for, because a lot of the people that are leaving us are, are younger people that aren't so interested in, in what their, you know, retirement, you know, side of their compensation is. Um, and I, I'm, I am trying to figure out what I can do to try and fix that situation for the DA to get, you know, to, to, to retain those people and, and, and attract, you know, senior people and the DA people that she's hiring have to have gone through law school and have an Oregon bar license. And what she's really looking for is people that have already been prosecutors because she's looking for more senior people because she can get people fresh out of law school. She's competitive there and, and has plenty of those, but they need senior prosecutors to supervise them and kind of hold their hands as they prosecute their first cases because prosecution is a serious thing. You charge somebody with a crime, you're talking about taking away constitutional rights. 
And um, I'm trying to figure out how do I help the district attorney and where can I get that money from? And can I do it in a way where I'm not going to have every other employee of Lane County with their hand out going, what about us? You know, are you going to give all of us raises now? You know, because you know, you're having this problem over there. Because we have other places where we're having difficulty hiring, not like the DA's office. But, you know, it's kind of a – the DA's thing is, is not just about salary. You know, I unsuccessfully tried to get people to vote to put a bond out there to build a new courthouse. One of the reasons I was doing that was the DA's offices in the courthouse are a cesspit. It is, I mean, they are the worst offices. You would not want to work there. It's a bad work environment. And it's a work environment that can't be done remotely. You cannot work remotely as a prosecutor. You have to be able to talk with your fellow prosecutors. You have to be able to talk with the investigators. You have to be able to go down the hall and, and file motions and everything else. It, it's just, it's not conducive to remote work, which means people have to be in that damn courthouse, which is not a nice facility. And the DAs are squeezed for space. We don't have enough room for the staff that, you know, we've grown in population, which means the number of crimes being charged. So it's not just about pay. It's also about work environment. And it's about workload. One of the things people don't understand is during COVID, our courts in Lane County were shut down longer than almost any other county in the state because the governor chose to use case counts per 100,000 by county and, and didn't look at the testing rate per 100,000. And the U of O was testing like crazy. So our case counts were far above other counties. So we stayed in that, quote, extreme risk category because of the criteria they were choosing to use, and it kept our court's doors closed. So our caseload built up. So there's this huge backlog of cases. If we're not fully staffed at the district attorney's office, and we never really were staffed for the caseload we had before COVID, that makes it all that much worse. So we've got overworked, bad work environment, underpaid. How do we fix that? One of the ways we can start fixing is the state's got to start supporting the DA's offices like they used to. People need to be talking about to the, their state legislators and all that. They've got to start supporting prosecution. But, of course, progressives right now don't want to prosecute anybody. So I think this is kind of the, this is their end game in some ways, to squeeze us financially to the point where we can't prosecute people. Of course, national news, some person got assaulted by somebody who had been arrested up to almost 40 times for assault in the past in New York City recently and was severely injured by that person. And the person was out after assaulting an Asian woman previously and being charged with, yeah, that potentially a hate crime. But their soft on crime prosecutor in New York City Guys, back on the street. All right. 
I just want to make people aware of that issue because that's what I think about what keeps me up at night. How do I fix these structural problems? How do I get people lower caseloads when I can't even hire the people in the first place? How do I get them a better work environment when it's difficult for me to ask people to raise their taxes when the groceries are costing over 100 bucks for a couple bags? Well, we're about done time-wise with the Bo's Nose Show. I hope I didn't ramble too much. Great to get a couple calls in. Great for folks to be listening. I am not going to be here next week because I am traveling to Casper, Wyoming for my niece's wedding. And I hope to see what Wyoming's like. And maybe on the following week's Bo's Nose Show, we'll talk a little bit about Oregon versus Wyoming. Won't that be fun? So I hope everybody has a great week. Thanks for listening to the Bo's Nose Show coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira. Have a great week. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.